Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 23 of Robot Radio. This is Greg Stanwood. I'm here along with Andrew Martin. And for today's uh, podcast, we're going to discuss the uh, the results of the MLB trade deadline from which uh, which finished yesterday or Saturday, the 31st of July. And just before we get started on that, we I thought we'd talk real quick about just the the case of Dexter Fowler since uh, we can fill a l- little bit of time with that. Uh, he got hurt at the end of today's game. He has a bruised hip. And so far, they haven't done any tests of any kind, and they're going to do those on Monday. So um, at this point, just in terms of the way the the roster would stack up if he had to go on the disabled list, really all this does is open up a spot for Todd Helton, I think. If he he hits the DL, it'll – well, if if you weren't watching the game, it was the ninth inning. We were up by – was it four runs or five runs? I don't remember specifically at that time. We w- I believe it was, it was four runs as Corpus had kind of struggled to get us there, and then Bimel closed out the eighth, and then um, uh, they brought Street in to get some you know some trash work in. And I something about Houston Street and trash work. I, I mean, it's it's complete you know bi- bias on when I've actually watched and when I haven't watched him in a low leverage situation. But it's I've seen too many games, which are more than one where he's exploded by coming in in a low-leverage situation, but then he seems to be nails in the high-leverage. It kind of seems that way when, when when a lot of closers do that, because I think I remember seeing Brian Wilson have the same problem. Well, uh, Brian Wilson has that problem, though. They, they brought in Brian Wilson, for us at least once, earlier in the year, when we were ahead by, like, ten runs or something, and he gave up, like, five. Nice. But, uh, no, I actually looked at the splits for 2010 on street. Just, just 2010, which doesn't necessarily tell us that much because he hasn't been active that long this season, but uh, he's much worse than the high leverage, nearly giving up a seven, 700 OPS, but he's seemingly getting the job done-ish, and uh, yeah, but today he um, he was he, he walked to, he walked directly and then Giovanni Soto, which stinks because I thought he got squeezed on that Soto walk, but whatever, and then gave up a triple to Marlon Bird, so then with one out, he had a deep flat to center field, and Fowler makes this ridiculous diving leap up against the wall. Straight like, into the wall. Straight into the wall. And no, ma- no matter what happens there, um, uh, Marlon Bird scores in third base. There's just no question. It's on Alfonso Soriano flyout. Um, and by running right into the wall, it was right over by the opponent's bullpen, where you got that yellow, you got the yellow strip on top, and then you got like that bit of, you know, uh, like, like caging, and then the wall below that, so, for those of you who are very familiar with Coors Field, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and, uh, he hits the wall, and his entire body, too much of his force is going right into the wall, he catches the ball, and I'm just baffled that he hung on to this ball, I mean, that's pretty intense, considering how he, and then he hits the ground, and just he's just flattened, and Marlon Bird scampers home because everybody knows that if you know, no matter what happens, Bird is going to score there. So at that point, they you know the trainer ran out, Tracy ran out, and there's nobody on base, so it's you know no big deal with the timeout. And they brought the card in to get him out, and he was in obvious pain, like he was teeth gritted, writhing on the ground, just did not look good. Um, it's you know it sounds like a hip contusion right now, but uh. I think the most interesting reaction right there was Houston Street when he saw Fowler make that catch. He's like, yes, nah, yeah. And then you can see it in his eyes, like, he's not getting up. Crap. Yeah. It, it, it kind of passed over his face. Like, I mean, he was, he was really excited about the heat of the moment. And, I mean, obviously he was excited that that pretty much was going to save the game. And then, uh, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bit scary. 
Well, you know, he, it did save the game is a good thing, but yeah, no, he. Uh, but I mean, he, you could tell he was he was not he was not going to be able to get up by himself. Yeah, no one player's injury is worth you know anything as far as wins and losses go. No one should get hurt in the game, so we're not. Uh, you know, and, and despite how heartless I might seem sometimes, I would not wish an injury on anyone, no matter how many games it might save. So just so you know that I am human before we continue here. Are you sure? No. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm human, but I would not, I would, no, I would not wish for anyone, our team or other teams, or even Manny Ramirez, to be hurt in a situation to uh, get us wins. I mean, if it happens and it has something to do with us, I'm like, oh, good, the Dodgers aren't going to be quite as good. But, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, so with Fowler out, yeah, like you just said, it's just going to make room for Helton. And we then have four outfielders, and then I guess we have Melvin Mora in left field if we really need him. And, and Jonathan Herrera can play the outfield, too. Yeah, but we really had better be in an emergency situation if we put those guys in. Like, I don't care who's pitching. We need to play the outfielders in the outfield and not make ridiculous switches because, I mean, it, granted we have three left-handed outfielders now and then Spilly, but, um, yeah, we need, to, we need to just focus on uh, – getting Helton's evaluation, and, I mean, this is assuming he's activated this week. Right. He, his rehab assignment with the Ghost is supposed to end today, and then he's supposedly, assuming they're happy with what they've seen, they're going to activate him for San Francisco on Tuesday, um, which would either mean that Fowler goes on the DL, or if he doesn't have to, or if they can't, then uh, I guess that means they have to option somebody down. Which will probably be Herrera at this point. I would say so, yes. It just makes the most sense right now. I mean, I'm not a giant fan of it, but, uh, you know, it... it well, people have pointed out that it, it leaves us with the same kind of middle infield hog tie that we had at the beginning of the season, where Melvin Mora is our backup middle infielder. And which, that's it? Yeah. Uh, re- remember, they called up Herrera originally, not because somebody else was having trouble, per se, but because they were tired of using Melvin Mora at second <laughs> twice a week. Yeah. Um, so, but at this point, Melvin Mora offensively has been good, and Jason Giambi offensively has been good. And, and Hobbs has been showing life at first, too. Right. Well, I guess I was talking about people who would actually have a chance of being released, as opposed to... Oh, 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 oh. They wouldn't do that to Hobb. No, no, no. Not at this um, point. They're, they are thinking of him too much in terms of 2011. Kind of. They're, they're thinking that's, of him at least as a first base option. That's what I mean. As right. far as first base in 2011, I should have clarified that. I, that's, every, that's everything I'm seeing from Troy Rank, though. Yes. I still don't think that it's very likely that happens, but it does depend a lot on what happens with Todd Helton. Um, we're not going to keep Hop at all if Helton is somehow in the picture and expected to do, to be okay. Yeah, I mean, I, at least I, it, it's a smart move not to, which... It's horrible to say because we all love our homegrown guys, but at some point you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. And if Helton shows that he's ready, we have more tied up in Helton than we do in Hop. And I just mean that in the sense of we can't make horribly, horribly pragmatist and you know emotionless decisions with Todd Helton. It's just it's impossible considering he's the uh, the the last even like link we have to the Blake Street Bombers. Mm-hmm. And granted, he wasn't officially a Blake Street bomber because he came after Galarraga, obviously, but he played with Walker and with Castilla, and uh, I guess I believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. I have to check to make Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hel- Helton and 
Castier. He definitely got got to play with those guys because they both left after '97, I think. Yeah, and then, well, then, and then well, Castilla, Castilla came back twice. 2004 so. and then 2006, I believe. Or 2006, yeah, it was the first year that I was really paying attention, which was play a little play a little third base, play a little first base, and then retire to Rocky. It was very much a it was a baseball equivalent of a one day contract because the 2006 Rockies, everyone knew they weren't going anywhere. They already had lost a zillion games. The season was pretty much over. They're just getting guys reps in, and then bringing Castilla back was just. Purely a, a fan interest move. Purely a fan interest move, and, and good for them. It wasn't difficult because it was September, and we had the full roster open. And if you remember, the Padres just really. And this is funny because I just this just sprung back into my mind as we're talking. The Padres had signed him that year to be, you know, Melvin Mora for them. Uh-huh. Um, you know, our Melvin Mora this year was Vinny Castillo in 2006 for the Padres, and then they wanted to bring up someone like Headley or someone like that. It might not have been Headley. I'm just throwing names out, but. They said, hey, we don't got room for you anymore, and they flat out released him. And the clubhouse was shocked, just shocked. Like, I play a lot of sim games, and if any of you have ever played a baseball sim game, when you release a popular player, you get that little email in your email inbox that says, the fan the fan base cannot believe that you did not keep Benny Castilla. Our fan interest decreases no- noticeably. That's effectively <laughs> what happened right there, because everyone's just baffled, because I don't, I don't even recall if he was that bad or that good. He wasn't god-awful, I know that. But um, he must have been that, popular. He has to have been popular. I mean, everyone loves Vinny Castilla, especially with um. Well, I mean, Adrian Gonzalez being on that club and the, and just a connection to Mexico right there and San Diego being so geographically close, you're gonna have a lot of Mexican fan base there as well. And Vinny Castilla is like the. I mean, he's he's got the I believe has the career mark for most hits by a Mexican-born player, and I mean, just people are baffled by it. So I'm pulling up his numbers there. Uh, no, he was pretty awful. I, I, <laughs> no bones about it. He was awful, but he's still a pretty solid glove at third base, and, and no, he was just bad about, bad at everything, but, you know, it's a veteran clubhouse, and I don't know. So the Rockets are just like, hey, come on back, and so he played 15 games, mostly as a pinch hitter for us, and, you know, good for Vinny, and he batted awfully, but we, like I said, we weren't going anywhere, and then he retired as a Rocky, and now he's with the front office, so... Good for you, Vinny. But what, um, wasn't yeah. Eric Young Senior on that Padres team as well? I think he was. I think the last major league stop he made was Texas. Um, he was he was on some team that I saw in 2006, and I thought it was the Padres. Well, let's find out here. 2006 was the last year there, and let's see. He played, looks like he played for a couple teams in 2006. 2006, yeah, I played for the Padres and for the Rangers, and okay. I believe the Rangers were the last stop. And right. he was pretty awful with the Padres in 2006 as well. But, um, so, I mean, with Todd Helton there, like I said, he's the last connection to Blake Street, and there's no way he's going to play with anybody else, because it's unfathomable to think of Todd Helton in any uniform but a Rockies uniform. So, why don't we go ahead and start talking about the... Uh the moves that were made around the division during the uh, during the trade deadline. We could potentially talk about a whole lot of other crazy moves like Roy Oswalt and such, but I think for now we'll just concentrate on what's going to affect us the most since we... Uh, and that's obviously the division. When we, with three exactly. teams ahead of us, we've got to focus on what they've done and what we may or may not have, you know, what we didn't do, but what implications that has for this club. Let's talk about us first, because we basically went through stages of being a buyer, then a seller, then a rearranger, then nothing. <laughs> um, well, the fa- I think the fact is, just for starters, I mean, we made no moves at the, waiver, the non-waiver trade deadline. 
And before we actually jump into this, for those of you who don't know, July 31st is called the non-waiver trade deadline because that just means I can freely trade any player from any team to any team. I could trade... I mean, you could trade your $100 million contract guy for a rookie, or you could trade, you know, make a make a blockbuster, or you could make a pretty under-the-radar move. For you, from July 31st to August 30th, you are still allowed to make trades. However, both players involved in the trade have to clear waivers. If any, And, and this is a big strategic move for a lot of clubs, and it's backfired before, too. Um, yep. There are, yeah. the, the reason that exists is so teams can't, uh, you know, oh, hey, we have a real opportunity to surge. Let's go get every player ever when exactly. they don't, when they, when they have just like $50,000 left on all their contracts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, 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 to protect teams, or to protect the rest of teams, basically, from teams just making a whole bunch of prorated salary trades and just making an unfair stacking. So the idea is is that um, a lot of big players might still change teams. Particularly the if they're very expensive. Exactly. A lot of big players may still change teams because a lot of te- if you make a waiver claim, you assume everything about that player. I mean, you just basically the player just puts on a new uniform, and that's effectively what happens there. You get his full contract. You get all the stipulations. You get all that right there. And uh, that's how um, that's how waivers work. So if both players clear waivers, so for example, the the, the Astros want to trade uh, Carlos Lee to the Dodgers for Manny Ramirez, um, there's a good chance both those players will clear just because they have a lot of money due to them. Well, maybe not so much Manny because he's a free agent next year, but right. you see my point. Um, there's a chance that trade might go through because teams wouldn't want to just be like, oh sure, we'll pick up Carlos Lee and. You know the you know forty to fifty million dollars he still do, or like Alfonso Soriano. You get Soriano point. was was the player I was just about to mention. If the Cubs wanted to trade Alfonso Soriano now and somebody wanted him, uh, he would that probably clear. Well, yes, but I, the point is there is no team that would be willing to block the trade with a waiver claim when he's owed that much money. Basically, so- the the way the uh, uh, the the waiver system works during this period of trading is if a let's say you are two games behind your division leader and you know your division leader is really interested in a certain player if you are willing to clear a roster space and pay them you can actually because you have a waiver claim higher up than they do you can make the waiver claim first meaning that that you block the trade to team a and force a trade or a waiver claim to you instead. Yeah, and if you're confused about waiver claims as well, you can read a lot of this if you go back through uh, Jeff Aberle's Purple Row Academy, because he wrote a lot of articles about waiver claims. But um, the idea with a waiver order is you take the previous season's record and stack it from worst record to best record, so the Nationals would be... No- it's the same the same order as the draft. Well, actually, it, it changes after the non-waiver deadline. It oh, changes, it? yeah, because enough. after the waiver deadline, league has priority. Which means that's right. I knew that uh, the worst team. If you're if, from if, last season in your league, if, if it's an NL team, it goes from the worst NL team last season to the best NL team, and then it goes to the AL. Actually, you know what? It might be even different. I'll have to look this up because I think this far into the season, it's actually this season and not last seasons. We'll look into it, but the point exactly. is, is that if you have a higher waiver spot, you every if a player goes on waivers, he is made available to every club in order, and every club can turn him down by saying no, we're not interested, no, we're not interested, no, we're not interested, and uh, then if anybody is interested, they just say yeah, we'll claim we claim that player, and um, so sometimes that sometimes that team will if uh, 
say the Dodgers want to waive Manny Ramirez and the Padres say, oh, we want Manny, well, they can either just say work out a trade for it or the Padres can just flat-out claim him. Or the Dodgers can pull him back off waivers, but then they have to make the corresponding roster move to make sure there's room for him. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so up to August 31st, you're allowed to make waiver trades. That's still not technically a complete trade deadline. You can make a trade in September if you want. We saw a couple of those go down, I believe it was in 2007. I think the, uh, I believe it was the Brewers acquired, it was the, either the Brewers or the White Sox acquired Ray King, but the stipulation there is, is that while they are able to play with your team for all of September there, they're not eligible for the postseason. So, Again, in September, you can't just go and say, okay, who now thinks they're out of it? Okay, we're now going to trade for all your best players right now, and here's our entire farm, because none of those guys will be eligible for the postseason. Didn't Adam Dunn also make it uh, make it out of uh, over the waiver wire on, like, August 5th or 6th, or, like, one week after the deadline or something to Arizona? I, I, yeah, I believe that's what happened in 2008, that uh, Adam Dunn signed with Arizona, or was traded to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and la- Arizona postseason. And- last year we had uh, we had uh, Alex Rios get claimed by the White Sox. That was Sox. an interesting one. Yeah, the Blue Jays had locked up a lot of money in Alex Rios, and he was struggling in in, in Toronto. And a lot mm-hmm. of the problem there was, um, well, there's a lot of factors in the Rios. Um, one, he was overpaid, and it was just a too big of a contract to sign. He had a couple awesome years before. The second problem is that he's an elite center fielder, and they kind of pulled a Carl, Carl Crawford-style move on him and left him in left field because uh, they had Vernon Wells in center, and, you know, they'll be damned if they move Vernon Wells out of center, even though he couldn't play the position really that well. Um, so the White Sox claimed him, and he's had a complete resurgence in his career. But the thing, the stipulation there is that the White Sox, by claiming Alice Rios, had to take the entire contract there, and the Blue Jays are like, you know what, just take him. Which take is, him and his contract. Which is precisely why they were willing to make that move by putting him on waivers, because, you know, they, they didn't, they wouldn't mind losing that, that amount of money, especially since they already have a ton, had a ton of other contracts locked up in like Vernon Wells, who you already mm-hmm. mentioned. Uh, so really, I mean, the fact, they didn't necessarily probably expect anyone to claim him, but the, well, the White Sox did. And, and sometimes uh, it's great, and sometimes it backfires. But also keep in mind this: when you over the next week or so, as you hear this, you're going to hear about all kinds of teams putting players on waivers. That does not necessarily mean the team legitimately wants to get rid of them. This, I mean, before the non-waiver trade deadline, teams will just make phone calls and test the waters in that way. Post waiver tread post July 31st teams will put players on waivers to see if anybody claims them so say we put Manny Corpus on waivers and then the the Rays make a claim on him well then Dan O'Dowd calls up the Rays and says hey so we saw you made a claim on Manny Corpus and they say yeah they said you want to work out a deal and the Rays say uh not really we just want to claim him and they say well we need a player they say okay how about no name single a guy and they say, the Rockies say no not good enough they will pull what Manny Corpus back off waivers mm-hmm and 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 there's just no trade. I, it, it's really just a move to test the waters on players. So I I, I pulled up Jeff's uh, waivers uh, primer here, and I can confirm that uh, from August first on, it is the current season record that has priority. Okay. Which means but if I pull I up the change. If, right, if I pull up the standings right now, let's say. We put Aaron Cook on waivers. Aaron Cook is probably the most likely Rocky who could be traded after the deadline uh, because nobody's going to want to claim his salary. So basically, we would start 
if we were to put a player like Aaron Cook on waivers, the first team that would have a chop, chop at him would be the Pirates, not the Orioles. Even though the Orioles are worse, the Pirates are in our league. So they get first claim. Exactly. And once it goes to the entire National League, then, then the it Orioles. goes to Baltimore. Yeah, and then, and the, then and the, the very last team to have access would be the Yankees. Exactly. So that's that is how the way. So this is a whole lot of roster talk move here. So sorry if you bored you here, but uh, this is all very yeah. interesting to me, of course. Well, this yeah, no, is my, this is my uh, specialty. So well, th- yeah, waiver moves, waiver moves, roster moves, stuff like this. This is all the politics of baseball. This is all you know people blocking each other by trading for a guy that you wouldn't think they would trade for and they don't really need, but they just wanted to screw another team over, stuff like that, just crazy stuff like that. And really, this this might just be me talking because I find a great deal of interest in all this, but I think this is very important for you if you want to pay really close attention to the, the state of the team and, and, and how and why they're, they're, they're going to be changing hands with various players that you, uh, you take some time to read these, these sorts of primers and, and get to know how these transactions work. Is it primers or is it primers? Um, you know, I don't know. A primer can also be something else, like a priming handle. But or a fire starter? Yes. Uh, yeah. If, if, any of our listeners, way, if you know, please comment and tell us, because <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've had this confusion for a long time, and I don't live in 1934. I don't have a primer on grammar. Maybe both are acceptable. Maybe they are. I don't know. Now I have um, to look this up, but let's keep talking about the uh, the the... We can talk about how uh, how and why we we did not or how we we chose to stay where we are. Well, I think this, for starters, when we didn't make trades, you can look at it as a couple ways. You can look at it in one way that the team is loyal and they decided the guys were worth it after all. I don't see it that way. Um, they were a bit more hesitant on moving Brad Hop because of Helton's condition, and it's if you follow me on Twitter, it's it's uh, you know at Rocky's Magic Numb. Just if you're interested, um, the I found an article from 2008 or it was a 2008 offseason about Garrett Atkins, and it was saying that they they hung on to Atkins because they weren't sure of Helton's situation. Because if you recall, in 2008, Helton was practically crippled by his back, and so Atkins took over first base and gave Ian Stewart his first real shot at third base. Which is so, why he'll um, be a super two this year, by the way. Say that again. Which is why he'll be a super two this year. Yeah, so we this is all about arbitration stuff. Uh, you can look more into that. We can talk about that later, or you can read Jeff's articles about arbitration statuses and, and contracts and stuff like that. Anyhow, um, I just found it amusing because you could take the article, and, I mean, if you kind of – you just need to kind of transpose some words on there. For example, change every Atkins to Hop. Rockies are keeping Hop because they're unsure of Helton's status. Change Helton's surgery to – Helton's, you know, age and ineffectiveness, and you basically have the same uh, problem. And if you recall when Helton got locked up there and then they got Atkins and Hop via the draft, um, they were both first basemen coming out of uh, UCLA and uh, and LSU and had to be converted to new positions. Hop, because of his strong arm, was moved to right field. Atkins, because of his not-so-strong arm, was moved, and but, but good infield fielding skills as far as ball handling, was moved to third base. Now, Atkins still had the range of a first baseman, but, I mean, he handled the ball well enough, it seemed. So, anyways, the reason the Rockies did not move Hop was either, well, the combination of they didn't get a good enough offer, and they weren't sure about Helton's back, and Hop seems to, you know, he looks good at first base. He looks very comfortable there. With uh, Cook, however, it just, everything I've heard so far just sounds like there was no real interest in giving a major, you know, any decent return to the club for Aaron Cook. And uh, the other guys interested in being moved were Randy Flores and Joe Bimel, 
because you know that left-handed pitching is something every general manager just salivates over for some reason. And they were basically offering, you know, Mike Miller or Matt Miller and, you know, quadruple A kind of guys in return. And the Rockets, like, we have non prospect types, yeah. Exactly. I mean, guys who are, they might be 24, 25, and yeah, they could. I mean, think like Corey Sullivan, you know, just guys like that who might have like one good tool, and that's about all they have. And they just don't can't, couldn't put the rest of their game together enough to be more than an injury call up in a dire situation. So basically, the Rockets are like, you know, we'll just hang on to Bimel and Flores. It's not going to hurt us. And you know, frankly, Bimel loves it here. And that's everything I've ever read about Joe Bimel from all the beat says. Joe Bimel loves it with the Rockies, and frankly, we love having him. Yeah, in fact, I think when he uh, when he first became a free agent before last year, when he went when he ended up signing with Washington, we were somewhere reported that we were on the top of the list of teams he wanted to get in touch with for the possibility of playing. I mean, he obviously knew a lot of us because he played for the Dodgers for a long time with us. So uh, now, real quick, your your Purple Row grammar lesson of the day is that when you're speaking about a school book, it is, in fact, primer. Ah! Uh, whereas if you're speaking about a can of paint, it is primer. There you go. Yes. Now we both, now we know. This is where the little rainbow flies across the screen and says, the more you know. Yes. Or I could just play the sound effect. I don't know. You could. If you really want to, if you really want to tie that in, that'd be funny. I will uh, not. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to you, Captain Editor. I Anyways, will. so the Rockies' lack of movement can be once again interpreted in a couple ways: that one, we're loyal to our players and we're going to, ex- and or otherwise that we weren't getting good enough returns. And you can actually tie those two together, saying we value our own guys enough that they are extraneous pieces now, given Jolie's Chasin and then the. Uh, um, just the outfield depth we have and the fact that we could call up Garner or Miller to be the fifth outfielder. But on the other side, um, well, they say we value our guys, but they are expendable, but we're not going to take chicken scratch for these guys. They are not just dead weight to us. And I don't see them as dead weight either, frankly. But uh, the lack of movement says that we – it kind of says what I've been seeing all season, that it's a team that is good. If you look at just skills, from what we've seen this team can do – the team is good enough, but they are not playing well enough. Does that make any sense? Sure. I mean, honestly, when you hit, was it, did it end up being a nine or eight game losing streak? I keep mixing, mixing the numbers up. I believe it was eight. Let's see, because we lost. Yeah, it was because we lost the final. Well, no, we we lost final two of the three against the Marlins. Re, well, we, we played four against the Marlins, but we lost the final yeah. two. I mean, then, we lost two of the final three against the It was eight, because we lost two against Florida, four against Philly, two against Pittsburgh, and then we yeah. won the final Pittsburgh game, so. Yeah, so as much as, um, much as that stinks and stuff, I mean, this isn't a team that loses nine games in a row, but we did, or eight games in a row, but we did, and... I mean, a lot of it was poor play. I'm not trying to excuse the guys for poor play, but some of those games just look flat out better, like the uh, second game in the Pittsburgh series, where we just, I mean, oh my goodness, no matter what we, they were hitting line shots at everyone. They were hitting bloops that were getting gobbled up by Andrew McCutcheon, because Andrew McCutcheon is amazing. And it, the, the team looked a bit better, but it was just, we, we just managed to lose it anyways. And then we finally took that third game and then swept the Cubs. So there were there were also a couple games in the Philly series that didn't look too bad. I mean, mm-hmm. we 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 had like two or at, at least one or two ninth innings where we tried to fight our way back and you know just came up a little bit short. 
And don't get me wrong, we're not trying to pretend that they didn't lose those games. I mean, talk, saying that they looked better than they were, we're just putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, it was an eight-game losing streak. We sucked an awful lot during that eight-game losing and, streak. And the, there's no beating around the bush that the eight-game losing streak is more important than how we looked. It, uh, we, yeah. We're both well aware that uh, all that matters is whether you win or lose the game. So. And I think, and I, but I think the front office realized that parting every – I mean, an organizational re- or, or rearrangement is not necessarily a bad idea still. I'll maintain that, but that doesn't mean that they were going into fire sale mode because I think everybody recognizes this team is better than they look right now. The players are more talented than they look right now. This team is still a very complete team despite how they look. I mean, a lot of unforeseen malaise hit the team in the forms of Helton, Hop, um, Street, well, Street, yeah, Street, that's a good one. Um, just everybody seemed to get hurt at the same time. Ineffective, I mean, everybody has ineffective games, but it just seemed nothing would give. Everybody would wait to have their ineffective moment at the worst possible moment. Mm-hmm. And is one of, in my opinion, and granted, this is just my opinion, it's just one of those things that baseball does to you. We've had ridiculous winning streaks where we shouldn't have won games, but we did. You also were going to have ridiculous losing streaks where you should have won games, but you didn't. A bounce takes the wrong hop. A hit doesn't fall. Andrew McCutcheon. All these kind of things like that that happen, and it just results in a very bad stretch of baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and this happens to every team. It just And it's going to happen to us. I mean, we've been spoiled a bit by having a good excuse for everything the last four years. 2006, the team just wasn't ready. We didn't have the players up. The players weren't seasoned. They weren't working well enough as a team because they're all still youngish and feeling everything out. Uh, the bullpen was kind of – we had Fuentes, Corpus, and Ramirez who were looking okay. A lot of promising-looking guys, but no one saw it. I mean, the fact that we thought Mike Dejan was going to be a major league impact on our team. Granted, he had a good 2005 – but you, you see my point. I mean, we had Tom Martin in our bullpen. And in 2008, we called him Zach McClellan. But it was just a series of everybody getting hurt. That was 07. For, 07 for, we had McClellan? 07 was the great bullpen disaster at the very beginning where our bullpen was made up of people like Arias and McClellan and Darren Clark. And yeah, I maintain that Alberto Arias is a decent pitcher. He was. But he was also, I, I guess the point was, he would not be on the team if everybody weren't hurt already. Yeah, we pretty much had the Sky Sox bullpen up. It was terrible. Right. And, uh, but, but so 2006, it was still like the last year of, you know, one of the last year or two of just building and putting everything together. And then 2007, we go to the World Series. So we didn't need an excuse. We did it. 2008, everybody got hurt, and Helton had his debilitating back. There's our 10 Tula Whiskey was out for a while. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody in the roster, except for maybe Holiday, was out for a decent amount of time. 2009 comes... We made the playoffs again, so there's no excuses really needed. And we made the manager change that we needed to and stuff. 2010, everybody's hurt again. So is that a good enough excuse? We treaded water and stayed right around, right around or above 500 while losing, while not having Francis, Street, Tulowitzki, Hop, um, who am I missing here? De La Rosa. De La Rosa. Uh, the point being that we lost a lot of keep, and Betancourt started the season out like, I don't want to say out of shape, but not conditioned because he, if he, he was, was behind. Yeah, he, he was behind the curve because he was sick all off season, and that really kind of. I mean, he, he doesn't have a very good ERA, and people are saying that he uh, has been a disappointment this season. I maintain he's still been good, but earlier this season, just stuff wasn't as crisp, and so it ended up being more hittable. He has been valuable. If you look at the value metrics, he is very high on the team. Eh, uh, he. I, 
he's he's if, out of everybody in our bullpen. If I need a strikeout, I go to Rafael Betancourt. There you go. I, there's no one else on the team that I would go to over Rafael Betancourt if I needed a strikeout. And that's exactly what they did against the Cubs on Saturday night. They brought him in with two righties left after uh, two two righties coming up after Hamill started. Everybody started to square up on Hamill. Struck out Stalin Crash Castro just like I was expecting, and then just hung one. Just hung a fastball right across the middle of the plate, and I can't remember who it was in the site, but somebody said, uh, "Oh, he put that ball right where Derek Lee likes it." And the immediate follow-up was, "He put that where everybody likes it." I can't think of any better way to put it than that. Uh-huh. So we've gone way off topic here. The Rockies are a better team than this streak suggests. And I think the organization put had enough faith in themselves and their own moves to say, you know what, this team is the team that can do it. If we get a blow-me-down offer for Hopper Cook, we will probably take it and call up Chasin or call up Miller or call up Garner or call up whoever. Young. And, <laughs> yeah, call up Young. I want Young back on the team. I don't care. Else. We'll see him in September, I bet, unless someone else gets hurt. Not right, on and I mean, he uh, he will get priority to be called up over Miller or Garner because he's on the roster. So Exactly. Um, Our lack of movements does not mean we don't think we're going to win this necessarily. It means we're not willing to break up a lot of the organization right now because of a bad stretch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, and I'm also pleased that they didn't make a move just for the sake of making a move. Because remember how good we were without Tulowitzki? I mean, yeah, we finished it being like one game over 500 without Tulowitzki just in that non-Tulowitzki stretch. But, I mean, we were in second place in the division without Tulowitzki on the roster. This team is good enough to do it. They just weren't getting it done. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that the team is bad or the team needs new blood or whatever. It just means that something's got to happen, and it looks like something's happened. Well, we've got two games against San Francisco coming up, and those will be important. And then we also then go back on the road, Not and, road and that road trip is going to be you know our second chance to uh, show that we can uh, we can in fact handle the, the road. We uh, this road trip will be. I mean, this road this past road trip that we sucked so badly on. A lot of people are saying the season's over after this road trip. I'm not ready to give up the ghost, but if we put, you know, play 200 ball on this next road trip, I still will not officially give up, but I will definitely back off on the whole we're still in this talk because that will be a pretty strong death knell there. We'll I, probably I th- will drop below 500. Me and... Uh and at least some people, I think, are holding out hope that the reason that road trip was so disastrous was partly because we had the All-Star break right in front of it. And we uh, we, we had lost some focus, and uh, getting back into it, well, well, you know, city hopping was is, n- is never the easiest thing to do. And we talked last week about how we would appreciate if uh, uh, the MLB schedulers would not put three-season uh, – uh, or th- three series road trips straight out of the gate for anybody. Yeah, that'd be nice. So let's talk about so some of the other, the other NL West teams. Let's start with uh, start with San Diego, since they're in the division lead. Well, San Diego, they uh, they picked up some veteran help. They got themselves um, Ryan Ludwig from St. Louis. And they picked up Miguel Tejada from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Significance for me in those moves, they decided they need a good corner outfielder who can do something. And Ludwig's not a bad bat, and he is, I'm not going to say he's a good fielder, but he is adequate. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, with Tejada, do you know where Tejada's going to be playing? Is it third? Probably. Sorry, Tejada will probably be a um, combination of a shortstop replacement for Everest Cabrera, who has... Can he still play short, really? I mean, it's, it's been a, a few years since he's really... Miguel Tejada playing shortstop, I, I almost look at it as a reputation thing more than anything else. They mm-hmm. More than likely, they'll put him at second and move like Eckstein to short or something like that. Well, what about third? Well, they could do third, too, but, I mean, it depends on what you think about Headley at third. Right. That, that's kind of why I'm curious as, as to where he's playing, simply because of, uh, you know, and, of course, they have Eckstein as well. I mean, of those three players, Headley, Eckstein, and Cabrera, Cabrera's the one that offensively they would want Tejada to replace, but at the same time, Cabrera's the shortstop, and uh, Tejada's not really a shortstop anymore. Not not anymore, but, I mean, he was playing short in Houston, right? That counts for something, right? Was he? I thought he had been converted to third over there, too. I could have sworn he was playing short. No, because it was this... No, this season's where they had the the Kepinger and Tommy Manziel combination over there. Um, Let me look. Miguel Tejada... I've, I've got up his, uh, his right here. He's played. He's played 93 games. Okay, he is playing shortstop for San Diego. He pl- he has played in 90. Let's see, 99 games, 97 of which have been for Baltimore. For Baltimore, he played 93 at third and four at DH. Since moving to uh, San Diego, he's played two at shortstop. I would just so, like to point out that at shortstop with the Astros in 2009, he was god-awful. Just miserable. And you were definitely right about him playing shortstop for Houston. He didn't play anywhere else. Yeah. So he with with him at short, I mean, that puts the Padres with Gonzalez at first, Eckstein at second. Or is Eckstein still on the DL? I don't know. Now I have to go look that up, too. Yeah, well, anyway, so that probably, can. if you want to, I'll keep talking. I already probably have Probably Eckstein at second. Tejada at short, Headley at third. So now they got um, Ludwig in left, or probably left or right, um, Hairston, and then uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. That's their new lineup. The thought here is, I was, when I looked at Tejada, I thought, well, he's like a below-average bat. What are you thinking? Well, the problem is, is that because Everett Cabrera was so far below-average bat that he's an all, he, he is all gloves. He's Omar Quintanilla. Faster, though. Mm-hmm. And they really, I mean, even though he is not an, even an average bat, because he is that much closer to average, it presents an upgrade over what they had. So I'm not terribly concerned that Miguel Tejada is going to be the salvation of San Diego's middle infield problems, but that extra boost could be enough to help him, but it's not as if he's moving into the most batter-friendly park in the league either. It looks like Eckstein is still on the DL, and so for the moment... Uh they have, Jerry, Harrison Jr. they have Jerry Harrison Jr., yeah. Yeah. Um, Ludwig, however, has been having an okay season. He's uh, in St. Louis. He's well above average as far as the uh, WRC plus metrics go there. Batting 281, 343 on base, 44 slugging. Um, d- decent player. He's having his best fielding year of his career. Um, that's a definite upgrade for San Diego. I will definitely say that's a good pickup. Right. Who who did they have? They they had Hairston and who else? They had Hairston, Gwynn, and Venable. Venable, okay, that's right. So I mean, Will Venable hasn't been having a great season if I recall correctly. Um, 
looking up his numbers there, he has been, uh, no, he's been about an average bat, but he's kind of putting up a, uh, almost like a Chris Ionetta line as far as super low average, but not even a decent on base. He, he, it's like Ian Stewart in a really bad stretch without the power. That's a lot of numbers to hmm. look at right yeah. there. Batting, he's batting 226 with a 313 on base and a 389 slugging. It's, it's below average by most standards, but when you account for San Diego, he is right around an average bat. It really depends on how you want to look at it. San Diego does swallow up hitters. We know this for a fact, and I hate San Diego's park because <laughs> it is a gigantic gimmick. Well, not to say that Coors Field is any better because it's the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's like San Diego's shameless about it. And we're like, we're trying to fix it. We're trying to we'll move the fences back. We'll put in a humidor. I swear we'll try and San Diego's, meh. We'll just get Cy Young's. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, uh, there was, there was a discussion I saw on those, those horrible ESPN boards where somebody was trying to point out that Petco Park was similarly gimmick, gimmicky to Coors Field. Which and, is a uh, assessment. It is. And I mean, I, I don't even really have a problem with it because I enjoy some variety. I kind of, I kind of like the, uh, the idea of some, some parks playing differently than others. I don't necessarily know if, if I appreciate it to, to that extent. But the problem here was that none of the San Diego fans on that site, and granted this is the ESPN boards, and I'm not even going to pretend that this is a general representation of the San Diego fan base, which I really don't have much of a problem with, but uh, all of them were saying, no, you can't have a gimmicky pitcher's park. Are you crazy? It can only be gimmicky if it gives up home runs all the time, like your stadium. <laughs> you know, and so... Um, he thinks we have different definitions of gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I look at an extreme park in either direction as necessarily gimmicky. Gimmicky is just a nice blanket word to throw over it. Extreme is probably just the best way for me to put it personally. Like Fenway, that's a gimmick park. Minute Maid Park, that's a gimmick. With like a, a hill in center field and the Crawford boxes, or the big, mo- the, the big monster, the green monster. The I big mean, either, monster. The big monster, <laughs> yes. I, Man, it's like somebody's, like, grandparents who don't follow sports or, you know, oh, I'm your girlfriend, I'm into sports, too. Are they going to go to Fenway Park and look at the big monster? Oh, I feel stupid now. Anyways, um, that all being said, I mean, yeah, it's a frustrating park, but I imagine, but everybody hates going to Coors Field, too. It, it's not as if, you know, Coors Field is any friendlier to pitchers than Petco is to batters. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I really, if we go back to the deadline moves, the pitching is there for San Diego. They don't really need any help pitching. Bringing in Ludwig and Tejada will upgrade two positions, and I'm I'm almost convinced that Tejada's um, contributions at shortstop will offset any on- offensive benefit he brings over Cabrera. I really do believe that. But Ludwig is definitely an improvement as just an, an everyday player because I'm frankly not terribly impressed with Jerry Harrison considering he's played all over the place, but... uh I, like Ludwig, good addition. I cannot complain about that if I were just looking at a, you know, how I feel about them or whatever. Because Harrison's actually been a, uh, he's impassably good. He's been a, you know, kind of Clint Barmas good for them. Gets so, the job done, plays a zillion positions, and Scott Harrison has been basically Scott Harrison, mm-hmm. slightly above average and frustrating as hell. Particularly when you're a Rockets fan. Yeah, oh my gosh, guys. <laughs> okay. As long as Jorge Julio's not involved, we're good. So, let's move on to the Giants. They uh, acquired two bullpen pitchers at the deadline, both of whom are former Rockies. 
uh, Javier Lopez, who was kind of before my time, so I don't know a lot about him, although we did just see him in Pittsburgh. And uh, Ramon Ramirez, who has skipped around, he was the guy we traded to, to Kansas City for Jorge De La Rosa, and then he made his way to the Red Sox, saw him earlier this year there, and now he is with San Francisco. I think it's interesting you phrase him as a skipped around pitcher. We're not, I mean, he's still a young guy, and when we say skipped around... He was, um, he's been traded around. He's been traded around, yeah. He's, he's a good piece, and teams want him, but it's interesting the players he's been traded for... Because with the Rockies, we wanted to – now, remind me again, because you seem to have the absolute handle on why we traded Ramirez. Well, it was a mix it was, of it – was, It was an out-of-options thing, so we couldn't send him down. But no. I, 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 believe he, I believe he had options. Because um, really? I remember we wanted to activate, like, Micah Bowie or something. Right. Like that. Well, I'll get there. I'm also going to look this up just to make sure. But the, the ultimate reason was we didn't have space in the bullpen for him. Now, if he did have options – we would think that we would have optioned him down. I'm checking right now to make sure, because I could very well be wrong. But the reason he was cut at all was because we had two spots left in the bullpen that could have been filled reasonably by anyone, but there were Kip Wells and Micah Bowie. Kip Wells was already on the roster, and we were paying him like $3.5 million. We weren't going to release him. a stupid him. amount of money for him. Yes. Uh. Um, he was not going to be released, and therefore he got that spot. And then the final spot was we we didn't have any lefties in the bullpen other than Brian Fuentes. And Micah Bowie... Because at that point we had Morales in the rotation. Right. And Micah Bowie was like the the only left-handed pitcher in the organization, whether a, a minor league free agent signing, which he was, or a prospect who had seemed any amount of decent... And so we basically decided to devote that last spot to him. Now, I mean, basically, I would have been okay with adding Bowie to that list based on what we had, and I, it is nice to have an extra lefty. So I always associate the guy, the, the guy whose fault it is as Kip Wells for, because we had him for that much. But really, it's both of them. I mean, I don't know that there was a good enough reason for either of them, but hey, it worked out for us because well, look at what we have in our number three starter right now. Well, Dan LaRosa, then, if you look at the other side of it, he had bounced around from Arizona to Milwaukee. I believe he was part of the Kurt Schilling trade sent him to Boston. Um, definitely skipped around the majors a bit. He could never put it together because he, he had that weird swingman role and never really had put it, you know, put anything consistently together. He had, like, one good season in, like, 2005 or 2004 where he struck out a whole bunch of guys and, and you know, didn't walk too many. and, and But it was, it was very limited relief role, and, and it wasn't that exciting. So we traded him out of options, and he came out of the bullpen to start and looked awful. And then we finally had him in the rotation, and he slowly put it together. And if you recall, um, end of 2008, he, uh, you know, started to look okay. And then 2009, he really kind of blossomed into, a, you know, a good starter. He's never going to have an ERA that's going to, you know, match everyone, but – uh. He was good enough mm-hmm. and got the job done. So, and then, then Ramirez, though, on the other side, he, um, he was in, he, um, blah, 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 blah. I'm like trying to remember what team it was. Kansas City used him as a setup man for Joaquin Soria, and he was very good. And then soon thereafter, they traded him to Boston for Coco Crisp. And then Coco Crisp proceeded to get hurt, and it was kind of just a wasted trade for the Royals. Ramirez so was out of can't... options, just if I can interrupt you real quick. He was out of options because I had forgotten that he had been optioned once with the Yankees organization. There you go. So uh, 2009 with the Red Sox, 
he was he was also a setup man for um, Jonathan Papelbon, and which is actually funny because in 2009 they also had another pitcher in their organization named Ramon Ramirez, who was a right-handed relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. Looks completely different than, than than our Ramon Ramirez, but totally different guy. And now this and now he's been moved to the deadline to uh, the Giants. He's going to provide a he his. What's interesting about Ramirez is I've I've, I've kept a you know not a close eye, but definitely kept my eye on add on him because him and Corpus came up at the same time. Um, and Ramirez, they, they called him like a strikeout artist and that he could just paint and do whatever he wanted with it. And yeah, he had good strikeout stuff, but it has declined the last few years. He's on a little bit wilder and struck out fewer batters. And he is not the same pitcher that he was when, um, when we had him, when even Kansas City had him. So this adds a right-handed, you know, decent strikeout guy for the Giants. I don't think it's a bad call. And then adding, so, so jumping off Ramirez entirely now, Javier Lopez, you got a left-hander who keeps the ball in the park. Looking at, he's at like a 2.79 ERA now. I just pulled up his numbers, which isn't bad. It was good. I mean, ERA, low ERA is good. His FIP doesn't really match it that well if you follow the fielding independent numbers. His strikeout numbers have definitely dropped, and he's walking too many guys now, but he's keeping the ball in the park. That's about the biggest reason his ERA is as low as it is. It's a few home runs he's given up. He's timed them very well, so it hasn't hurt him too bad. It's funny to think about this now. The, uh, the the Giants have not only Ramirez and Lopez, but also Affelt and Batista already. Their bullpen yeah. is like four sevenths former Rockies. Yeah, exactly. And at least and, and they also got a couple. If you look at it that way too, that's also three sevenths former Royals. Yeah, and Batista, Affelt, and Ramirez. Yeah, that's true. And I'm and Javier I, Javier Lopez has pitched everywhere. I bet he pitched for the Royals too. That would be interesting. I'm kind of curious because I want yeah. to see what happened. Javier Lopez, nope, Rockies, White Sox, Red Sox, Pirates. So my mistake there. It would have been kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so what this does for them is if you think about this, adding Javier Lopez is basically adding Randy Flores to their bullpen as far as your, your, your lefties. And I thought it was a much better pitcher, and he's kind of their lefty setup guy in the same way that Joe Bimel is our lefty setup guy. So this is just basically adding options for Bruce Bochy to go to in the later innings, get a situational out in the seventh, get a strong inning in the eighth, then bridge to Brian Wilson. It's not – none of these moves are groundbreaking. None of these moves are going to massively improve the club, but – um. They, they're they're decent moves. They wanted to pick up. They're looking for some other strong guys, and I can't remember exactly who they're looking for. A couple big bats. Um, I know though they were looking at Cantu for a bit. But that's not like a big bat. But do you work? They were looking for another, another big bat. Do you recall who it was? It might have been no. Too. Uh, the whenever well, I mean, was, a lot of teams, so so teams much goes on at the deadline. A lot of teams wanted Madison Bumgarner or Jonathan Sanchez from them. And considering the hype around Madison Bumgarner as a top pitching prospect for them or whatever, despite what the scouting says that his fastball has lost his velocity and all that, um, Bumgarner is not the guy you just want to move for no reason. And Sanchez is basically their Jorge De La Rosa. Massive strikeout numbers, walks too many guys, and uh, has you know wild flares of inconsistency, but a good pitcher overall. Uh, they're not going to move him for anything either. I mean, that's a strong pitching staff, and there's no reason to shell that, you know, take that apart. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they really, I, I, I would not move either of those guys if I were in San Francisco's case, unless somebody was offering me a blow me over kind of guy. And no, no, no one was willing to part with um, enough of a blow me down offer to really get San Francisco to move those guys. So they've one, improved their situation. One was Adam Dunn. Uh, Adam Dunn, thank you. For Dunn, they wanted Sanchez or Bumgarner, and they also tried to get uh, Kelly Johnson. 
but uh, I think the Arizona wanted one of those two guys too. No, well, maybe, but in the article I'm reading here, it says that they reject. Yeah, they rejected the offer of just Joe Martinez, so maybe they did want something better. They uh, see the biggest one they obviously picked up here was uh, Ted Lilly and Ryan Terrio for Blake Dewitt and two minor leaguers. Uh, Brett Wallach. Uh, let's see, minor league pitchers Brett Wallach and Kyle Smith. And uh, also about two, three or four days ago, they got Scott Pedsednik as well. Well, Kyle Smith, before we go into pods, I finally got Kyle Smith to pull up here. We got a guy who is, uh, he just got out of A-plus ball, just got the promotion to double-A, um, or he's pitched a very three innings in double-A and pitched uh, 54 and two-thirds in single-A high ball. Um, kind of guy who throws a lot of strikes, gets a pass- passable number of strikeouts, has good ground ball tendencies, looks to be a decent uh, pickup there, and uh, that's the other guy. Let's see, what is it? Got to have something about Brett Wallach here. Brett Wallach is a another big strikeout guy who is wild as well. He um, pitched in A ball this year in the Midwest League. He uh, struck out almost ten, walked almost five per inning, and yeah, so two young. Uh, he's a young starter as well, so you got some starting depth coming to the Cubs there. And uh, the good thing for the Cubs too is we just saw on Sunday is Blake DeWitt at second base. Now, DeWitt never seemed to get a fair shot because they kept going for guys like Ronnie Belliard and Orlando Hudson, so Blake DeWitt never really got a fair shot, and he he had, what, four hits today? I mean, he, granted, it's just one game, but uh, it's a decent pickup for the Cubs, who are kind of in a rough spot. Terrio is going to provide average defense at second base for the Dodgers, as well as, um, I'm going to say an empty average, but... Uh, it's, it's a little unfair. He's a, he's a ridiculous contact hitter. He's got 20, he gets still 20 a season, and uh, he's scrappy. He's just scrappy. That's the best way to put him. He's scrappy. So the Dodgers have now upped their scrap quota in getting those players. Ted Lilly, though, is probably the bigger acquisition there as yeah. from the Cubs, anyhow. he The Dodgers have had a fifth starter question mark all season, and uh, yeah, it's um, getting Ted Lilly is going to be a boost for them. Ted Lilly this season with the uh, Cubs has... Why am I on the minor league page? The major league page here has been posting a 3.69 ERA in 18 starts. He has a 3-8 and record, which is more indicative of the team than anything else. Um, a 1-1-3-7 whip. He is striking out. He's walking just over two, striking out just below seven. He's... You know, being Ted Lilly, he, he gives up way too many home runs and gets his fair share of strikeouts and doesn't walk too many guys. It's just basically providing some a, a solid option in the at the uh, in the rotation because they can't count on Clayton Kershaw and Chad Billingsley to do everything, or you know, um, Hirota. Mm-hmm. Well, they also got Octavio Dotel, and uh, he will probably, I assume, be used as some sort of setup material for Broxton. Um, they gave this up. This gives a, Joe Torre another pitcher to destroy. <laughs> oh, that's true. I I always uh I always like to make fun of Joe Torre for his his bullpen overuse. But uh, anyway, honestly, he wrote Broxton way too hard last season. It's catching up on him now. And this season, he's had him. He's been riding Broxton too hard, and Broxton started blowing up a little bit. Not saying he's falling apart entirely, but he definitely has not looked like the uber dominant Jonathan Broxton we're used to seeing. At least not lately. Well, let's talk about what, what they what they traded for. 
what they traded for uh for you really want to talk about that. I do, because it's it's uh Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I don't have it on hand. You uh you say it. Well they they traded away pitcher James McDonald. Right. Who we saw as a uh, we've seen him before a few times. He shut us down last year because that's what we do. We let number five starters trample us. And uh um they also gave away outfield slash first base Andrew Lambeau. Who is uh one of their top five prospects. Yeah. Andrew Lambeau is going to be a good addition for the Pirates, who have a lot of question marks as far as for. I mean, unless we're really convinced that Garrett Jones is the guy for them going forward, um, it's at least a good pickup as far as uh, you know depth goes. Yeah. Looking at him on, let's see what Fangraphs has to say about Mr. Lambeau. Um, throughout his minor league career, he has definitely been a strong, well, a strong-ish bat. He struggled in 2009 in Double A. Uh, only put about a two fifty six batting average there. And I believe I believe he's repeating that level. Double A? Yeah. Yeah, Fangrass is behind on their uh um minor league numbers this year for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why. Andrew I'm, Lambo this I think Fan, I think Fangraphs only updates their minor league stats at the end of the year. That would make sense. So far in double A with the Chattanooga Lookouts, um he's posting a seven fifty one OPS comprised of a two seventy five batting average. 328 on base percentage and a 423 slugging percentage. Um, he is 22 in August, so I mean there's a lot of room to improve there still. So they could be looking at a first base uh, slash outfield option. Yeah, he, he plays the, the corners if I recall. He yeah, can't... exactly. I've seen him play uh, first and left mostly. Uh, he played. He's played. Prim- he played primarily left field in 2009 with Chattanooga. Um, I honestly say for a guy, the Pirates, when you pick up, when you're in a place like the Pirates are, picking up guys like Javier Lopez, like Octavio Dotel, and if they perform well, honestly, it's going to do nothing but help you. Because either you have a veteran guy to kind of hang on to for a little bit there, or you move him to the deadline for prospects, which is right. exactly what they've done. Now, the big mystery and for us was, just frankly, when we were talking about it on the uh, on the comment section was, doesn't this seem like quite a lot for Octavio Dotel? I would just maintain that the the, um, that the Dodgers are desperate for relief help. So they're so by the time they get to a postseason consideration, like in September, Broxton isn't just completely gassed. Right, and I, I agree. He, he definitely addresses a, a, a potential need for them. I, I think that uh, it just seemed to me, and I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but it seemed that there was kind of an air of desperation to to, to that. And I almost feel like if they had. Uh, if they had held out a little harder, they could have uh, gotten a similar pitcher for less. But, of course, I, I, I wasn't on yeah. the phone with them, so I don't know. <laughs> well, the Do- I think it, it's tough to say with the Dodgers, because right now they, they're relying on a lot of older guys to do stuff, but then they have a few, you know, some younger guys there, too. I mean, you got Camp, who's having a bad year. Ethier is having a good year. Martin, who Russell Martin, who's kind of declined uh, somewhat, but he's you know still a good catcher. Um, James Loney, who had that one amazing season and hasn't been that impressive since then. And I want to make sure I'm correct on that. But th- there's a very strong consideration that it could be a window of opportunity because Casey Blake isn't getting any younger. Manny Ramirez more than likely won't be back next season. Um, it seems like they want to try to go for it while they can, mm-hmm. and I just you know I, I can't say that I fault them. It seems that a lot. Of, it seems that most teams. Well, I can't really say that the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks are definitely looking at windows of contention. 
the Giants have enough young players to, you know, not really be looking at that window. And, and uh, the Padres are having this super surprise season entirely. Um, if you're wondering, James Loney is effectively doing what he does every season. He bats about 280, 290, somewhere in there. On base percentage around 340. Uh, slugging in the uh, low to mid 400s. A little above average. Just kind of being James Loney. Nothing too special there. Okay, so... That's about the best I can say about Loney right there. Right. So, I, I, w- I was curious. I wanted to see Loney's numbers. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, really, it does seem like they, they they gave up a lot of tomorrow, or at least guys that they could fall back on once, you know, free agents fall apart or don't come back or whatever. And they gave up a lot of that for, you know, one more shot at them. They did make a lot of strong moves there. I mean, Lil- I mean Terry was not the strongest move, but, I mean, Lily and Dotel are going to help them this season a lot. Yeah. No, I, I think they, they, they did the best job at kind of patching the uh, the areas they needed to be patched. And uh, so I don't necessarily agree with, with the amount of, uh, you know, people they gave up for it. But then again, I'm much more familiar with our system than I am with theirs. So, so am I missing acquisitions? I mean, we got um, uh, Terrio, Lily... And Dotel, am I missing someone? Podsednik. And Scotty Pods. Scott Podsednik is <laughs> inexplicably good this season. He's he batting over 300. He's stolen like 20 or 30 bases. He's he's just kind of being that prototypical like leadoff hitter kind of guy. He's uh he's getting the job done somehow. And I maybe he's just you know he made a deal with the devil. Maybe he's on borrowed time. Maybe whatever. But I. It, he could come crashing down to, down to earth if we uh, consider how strong the pitching in this division is, except for, I guess, the Diamondbacks. But, uh, I mean, it, it it's not a bad pickup. I guess that's what the Royals were looking at him for, too. I mean, that's a pretty smart move to try to move him because of the fact that, uh, well, they weren't going to really use him going forward, and I don't see how many more borderline outfielders they could pick up this season. The uh, the Royals need to sell a lot, and uh, yeah. But the uh, who, do, do you have who the Dodgers gave up for Potsednik on hand? No. All right. Let's see what the the old Fangraphs has to say about it. This let's see the Scott Potsednik trade from LA's perspective. Let's see they okay. They're not telling you who they gave up on there. Um. And this is this is rough. We're not we're, we are not on top of this. And we are actually already at about an hour and fifteen minutes. So holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> um, I think uh, I mean we already know what Pacenic will bring to them. He, he's going to be a better outfield option than a lot of their kind of uh, folks like Xavier Paul, oh, yeah. maybe kind of uh, sorts. What we got Lucas. They have catcher Lucas May, who I'm reading was a kind of guy who is trying to learn catcher from, I believe, either outfield or third base, and he's not really he, – he can throw guys out well. He's got a strong arm, but he is not really a good catcher, not a good receiver, not a good blocker. And then Elisal Pimentel, uh, yeah, he's 21, is an A-ball pitcher, solid strikeout material, very wild still. So, I mean, they got they got warm bodies who could be effective in somewhere in the future – for Scott Podsednik. And they didn't have to even pay that much money for Scott Podsednik. So, you know, I think it's going to work out for both teams in that regard. 
I mean, if you get any return on that in the season where you're not expecting to win, you know, good for you. So okay, really- let's uh, let's go real quick to Arizona so we can wrap this up. Um, we there's not a whole lot to say, but we can go over who 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 they traded away in essence for uh, okay. at the deadline because obviously they realize that they've missed their their window to uh, to really surge forward, and their uh, their role at the trade deadline was to free up some space. So. We know as as we reacted last week uh, to the Dan Heron trade, which is mm-hmm. you know a, a major change for them, and uh, they also traded away Edwin Jackson to the White Sox, possibly mm-hmm. with the intent, or possibly from Chicago's perspective, with the intent of distributing him to to Washington for Adam Dunn, but that never Oops. ended up happening. Um, then you have uh, Chris Snyder, who was traded to the Pirates. He hasn't been activated yet, but by the time we uh, we head over to Pittsburgh on the next road trip, he probably will have been. And then uh, Chad Qualls was traded to, was it Florida or was it Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay. Okay. Uh, I knew it was one of those Florida teams, and Tampa Bay makes much more sense. So those those four... Players will not be there when we next play Arizona, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Which, uh, I'm okay with it. I feel kind of bad for them, but at the same time, not that bad. Yeah, they they kept they kept a lot of players. I mean, they kept Chris Young, and uh, oh, well, they weren't going to trade Justin Upton. <laughs> so yeah, uh, any other deals in particular that you want to comment on? None really. I mean, nothing super strong comes to mind. Uh, basically, the teams did what they needed to do right now. The Giants filled in some cracks because they're a good club. Um, the Padres added a couple bats which they needed to do. The Dodgers added a lot of pieces that are going to really help them. And the Diamondbacks moved the guys they could and got some young return for it. And the Rockies sat pat, which is slightly disappointing. But we talked about this. They, we I, have I still kind of main, yeah. I still kind of maintain that it's not disappointing. I, uh, I don't think there was a lot we could have done to, uh, uh, you know, switch things around to either improve or you know dump uh, at this yeah. point. And so I think that uh, you know we 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 can worry about trimming the uh, the payroll fat, if you will, in the off season. Yeah, the, and none of the stuff we need to worry about right now had to be done right now. There was really not much urgency in the moves that we were thinking about making. Right. So I I think some people were surprised, but really I, I think we, we did exactly what we uh, what we had to. One interesting thing to quickly think about is that um, it, they're kind of parallel cases in a small, small, small way. Adam Dunn and Joe Bimel, um, the Nationals didn't move Dunn, although the thought was they would move Dunn and then re-sign him because they are, are going to have a protected uh, draft pick because they're going to be in the bottom 15, so they're not going to lose anything by sign, re-signing Dunn, and basically give Dunn a shot to, you know, win. And the same thing with the Rockies. It, it's less of giving Bimel a shot, but um, if we had moved him and then attempted to re-sign him, we would have potentially... Well, no, he would be type B, wouldn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah, type B. So that, that we wouldn't have lost anything for him either. So both teams could have... Um, moved those guys and then re-signed them with no troubles. And, and um, the only thing is the Rockies still think that we could make a shot at this, which we could. I mean, we're not so far out of it that we can never think about this. We've been in worse places. But, uh, yeah, n- n- moves that didn't have to be made could have been made, could have helped for tomorrow, and then we could have gotten the player back anyways. But we didn't. So I guess that says for the Nationals that they just couldn't get the price they wanted and for the Rockies. 
we also couldn't get the price we wanted, but we also think that the guy is going to be a con- contributor going forward. I'm kind of surprised we didn't move Flores, but at the same time, considering the returns they were offering on Bimal, not getting anything for Flores is, you know, not too surprising. Right. So a quick look ahead at next week's schedule. Starting on Tuesday, we we, we have Monday the 2nd off, but uh, we have uh, Tuesday and Wednesday the wrap-up series of this homestand, two games against San Francisco, and then we wrap up the week with a four-game series in Pittsburgh. So this is six games right here that would be really nice to uh, to take advantage of. Right now, this is the, the bottom line is this is going to tell whether or not we are not necessarily complete, but whether or not we're there. I mean, yeah, the record's going to say that enough by itself, but we'll see in the style of play, because we're still making mistakes here at Coors, even though we are a home-happy team. we got to make sure that we can play smart baseball on the road as well as at home. Uh, one quick programming note. Andrew's going to be out of town next weekend, so there's not going to be an episode of this show uh, the weekend of the 7th. Or rather, it, there will be no episode next Monday. So we'll be back in two weeks on the 16th of August, uh, assuming that there are no further availability problems that arise between now and then. So on behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you in two weeks. Take care.